now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley as we begin a Friday, kids. Gary, how are you? Good. Going on? Craziness. Insanity. Yeah, we're uh, here. Major League Baseball All-Star Game back in Atlanta. No, 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 no. No. Where's the mob? Where's the mob? Democrats completely quiet on Jim Crow 2.0. They should be right now screaming, saying no. We can't have this until the election laws in Georgia change back to whatever they were. And by the way, they can't tell you what they were before. Where's the big protest? There is no protest. Yeah, as as we've stated, you know, we we see the uh, we see the uh, 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 promotion of anti-Semitism, the pro-Hamas, the, and now now on TikTok, the uh, the pro-Osama bin Laden. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, folks uh, uh, out there and um, treating the Osama bin Laden letter like it was part of something from our founding fathers. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's really sick. What's uh, what's going on. And when uh, the Georgia election law passed and, you know, Biden came out and called it, you know, uh, uh, Jim Crow uh, 2.0, Jim Crow on steroids and attack both the Texas and the Georgia law, but specifically the Georgia law in Major League Baseball moved the All-Star game to Colorado, to Denver. And we had said at that time that the Democrats are acting like a hate group mm-hmm. because they're lying about uh, an election bill. They're lying about it to create racial hatred. And the president was at the top. President Biden was at the top of the heap line about the Georgia uh, election law and everybody cheering uh, the all-star game being moved. And then it came out how many black businesses would suffer. They didn't care. Right. They wanted to lie. And, and this is this is when you talk about, you know, what makes a hate group. It's when you lie, clearly lie about an election law. In this case, you lie in order to create racial hatred and it's the biggest lie you go back and you relate it to jim crow laws Mm -hmm. and you that's what that's what hate group leaders do and the president did that so you know the wishy-washiness that you see you know back and forth the on one hand saying you know we stay strong uh with uh, israel on the other hand releasing funds to iran yeah thank goodness you had at least a few conservative outlets come out and say, what in the hell's going on here? Right. Why isn't there an outrage in this country that the president is funding because he has the ability to stop it? Yep. The president is funding the terrorist groups that killed Americans. Yep. And Israelis. Yep. And American money is still going to Gaza and going straight to the hands of Hamas. Taxpayer dollars. 
still going there after October 7th. You mean humanitarian aid? Well, that's what they call it, but it lands no, straight just, in the no, hands I just want to make sure you were talking about American. That's, that's my right, whole point. Right, yes, right. American taxpayer dollars is what is exactly what I said. And it's still going there. No, no, but I meant I, you didn't say humanitarian aid, which separates it from the Iran. That's all I was asking. Well, it's called right. humanitarian aid, and the reason I didn't use those words is because it's not humanitarian aid. I'm not saying it is. I'm just stating the fact that I wasn't And it's still going clear. there. After October 7th, still going there. Yes. Our taxpayer dollars. Our taxpayer dollars still going to the Taliban. This is insane. This is stupid. I know. It's ridiculous. And there's no way this doesn't land on American soil. There's not a chance in well, hell there won't be an attack. It's not a matter of, of if. It's when. Well, yep. And it's going to be much sooner than later based on the activity from Hamas, well, there's, Iran. There's already been over, what, 50 attacks on military bases. And we have, what, 30 Americans dead in Israel. Mm -hmm. So Americans have already been attacked. Mm -hmm. and, and it's coming here. Yeah. It will be here. They're all, we already know from the Border Patrol that known members of terrorist organizations are here in the States. We know that. They're coming across the southern border because we refuse to fix it. Yeah. Well, why would we fix that if we're handing them taxpayer dollars, if we're allowing Iran to sell oil and train Hamas in Iran. It's this is just insane. This is this is the more I look at it, it's and it's beyond scary. But it's but what is most frightening is that the majority of American people aren't right now screaming about what you and I have been talking about since October seventh with Iran. And and everything that you see that comes out of this this uh, White House, you know, you look at everything. Everything is designed to hurt the American people. Yes, uh, you know the uh, the the border situation. Then claiming that it's secure and they're doing everything that they want. Every American and every Democrat right now listening, every Democrat listening right now knows that that is a complete lie. Yep. Every Democrat listening knows that solar and wind. We know it cannot support an economy. Yep. Uh, every Democrat knows that it's insanity for the federal government to try. They're not successfully doing it because oil production's up again on state and private lands, but the federal government's doing everything to shut down uh, oil being produced, oil and natural gas being produced here in the United States while begging dictators. And by the way, uh, I agree with the headline that says, yeah, Biden called Xi a dictator, but doesn't do anything. Yeah, right. You know, so it's like, oh, I'll call them dictators and then we'll deal with them. Well, the first but, thing. But yeah. everybody should be happy that I'm calling them dictators and then we're cooperating with them well, to help enrich them while we hurt American industry and Americans. As as if he's being some kind of tough guy by calling him a dictator. No, you're not. What you're telling me is you're willing to welcome dictators here and shake their hands repeatedly in front of cameras. You're willing to bring them here 
So you can demonstrate that China has the upper hand. Everything across the, the board. And, and that's why, you know, you, you, when you look at it, uh, the anti-Semitism uh, that, that uh, exists out there, which is just, which mind-boggling. And it's not, the, it's not even, uh, it's not just uh, anti-Semitism and anti-Jew. It's pro-terrorism and pro-Hamas who killed Israelis, and more importantly, from the sake of domestic politics, from from the point of domestic politics, Americans were killed, and Americans are hostages. You know, I've said said repeatedly since October 7th that when there's another attack on American soil, these same people will be cheering. Well, it didn't take long for them to demonstrate that I was right with the whole TikTok thing on Osama bin Laden and the letter, essentially treating him as a hero. This is insane. But that's the radical left in America right now. And there's no way around that. You're either part of it or you're not. And when the White House had to come out and issue a statement on that whole TikTok thing, the Osama bin Laden thing, it tells you. They know. You can't win this. I was just, I had to, while you were talking a moment ago, uh, click over to Civics, which has been running on autopilot for, what, over a year? And now it's 19 points under. 55-36. 55 disapprove of Joe Biden 36 approve. And you can see the shift because they put it in the timeline. It's a daily running poll, approval poll. And they do this for each president. And you see it in the timeline. It started not long after October 7th. And that's how we can justify when we make the allegation that that uh, the left led by Biden, because I know all Democrats don't agree with what Biden is doing, but the first example of him being a hate monger and promoting hate, you know, the one that was so crystal clear that he was no better than a hate group leader was lying about the Georgia election law in order to create hatred between races based on a lie. Mm -hmm. That's what, and, and so that's why it's so important to talk about the fact the Major League Baseball is bringing the All-Star game back to Atlanta and really didn't say why. Didn't no, they really, didn't. didn't. really address the the uh, the uh, uh, the election law. They just said we're bringing it back. You know what the first thing that hit me, the first thought was, wow, is this MLB trying to CYA? Because remember Maybe. the heat that they took. Yeah. And they should have. I mean, it, they, they, it was it was deserved. You take it out of Atlanta, countless black-owned businesses in that area of that game would have benefited that entire week and probably for a while and move it to the much whiter Colorado. And it was all based on a lie. Yep. All Yes. The most important part, all of it's based on a lie. Well, was that lie right? Are they admitting they were wrong? 
Where's the administration coming out saying we don't support this, what the MLB is doing, going back to Atlanta? We don't support that. Keep in mind, you know, Atlanta was vying for the uh, Democratic National Convention. They didn't get it, obviously. Chicago did. But you're not going to, you know, this is, this is who this administration is. They have to lie about it and then pretend like you won't remember. All is forgiven. Move on. Bubble of today. Well, they lie to instill fear into people. And as you've said repeatedly, this is what hate groups do. And why do hate groups do it? They need to motivate people in the deepest, darkest way. They need to put hatred in the hearts of individuals so they will act out. That's why hate groups do it. And what the Biden administration did and Joe Biden himself did is no different. No different. And you're seeing it. Their original reaction, remember, on the anti-Semitism. Well, but there's Muslim hatred. That was their uh, that was their initial reaction. And then they had to come back, what, two, three weeks later and correct it. They're getting their butts handed to them, and I hope I'm right on this. If you look at the, the ones who aren't at the march, look, I still believe it's the overwhelming majority of Americans who see what's going on. I just can't tell you why so many, because I don't believe all Democrats feel this way. It's the radical left. But if you vote to support them, and I don't care who you are, and if you've been voting Democrat because you'll always vote Democrat, if you vote to support them, you're supporting this kind of behavior. You're giving them that kind of power, and it's especially dangerous. And it's not the entire Democratic Party at the federal level in Congress. Right. As, for example, we've talked about the the insanity of the of – the, uh, of the uh, um, transgender law is mm-hmm. uh, is is mainstream inside the federal Democratic Party inside of Congress, but it is hugely a cancer inside of the government, as we know, because of the memo of four to five hundred bureaucrats inside this administration that has shown their pro-terrorism against. Uh, American mindset. Yep. You know, that's the thing. I, I think, you know, I, you you talk about it. There was uh, you know, criticism of uh, Tucker Carlson, I think justifiably, when he started talking about, well, you know, people are getting a little bit over emotional what happened. Americans died, Tucker. I don't know how you don't see right. that. How and, can you and that, be and completely... Then, and that Americans that Americans are dying of fentanyl. Well, you can you can be outraged by two things, Tucker. Yeah, yeah, they're both a problem. And Candace Owen too. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah that that whole thing is over for me. Yeah. I, you lose all yeah. respect with me. You lose complete respect. And and you know, Tucker. Well, the the thing that really got her is when she basically was you know quoting scripture mm. and then making the point that money was more important to Ben Shapiro mm-hmm. than God. Yeah. Which is the absolute, you know, the un- underlying mindset yeah. of anti-Semitism. Exactly. 
that, oh, you're a Jew, money is more important to you than Scripture. Right. It's like, whoa. Well, and if you follow Ben, you know his deeply held beliefs. Oh, yeah. You know his faith. Money doesn't drive Ben Shapiro. No. No. And we're not saying that just he's a colleague of ours, you know. We're, we wouldn't be forced to defend him in no, any we situation. No, we would not be. It, that warranted no. criticism, just to be clear. No. And I wouldn't. No, neither would I. But I'll tell you right now, that's a deeply held faith. And anybody who follows him knows it. Yeah. You're clueless. Get out. No, but I, I'll point it out on the right all day. But at yeah. times I wonder, you know, you know, for example, you know, Tucker Carlson, we've talked about Tucker and I have no idea why why Trump people support him anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. ones that believe the election was stolen. Yeah. When he's the one that was screaming like crazy that Trump was insane. Right. And it's like, they just forget about it and move on. I guess. 866-90-RED-EYE. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. With advanced synthetic technology is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Cold temperatures and water can lead to only one outcome, and ice has no place in a truck's air system. That's why it's crucial to keep your air system moisture-free as the temperatures begin to drop. One of the simplest and most cost-effective ways to keep moisture out of your air system is to change your air dryer desiccant cartridge. This should be changed as recommended by the manufacturer or annually as part of your preventive maintenance routine and preparation for winter. Make sure your air system is in top condition before plunging temperatures put it to the test. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. You know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there... Don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa. 
It's Friday Radio. He is Eric Harley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Thanks for uh, uh, being here. We've got uh, tons of things to uh, talk about today here for a uh, a, uh, a Friday. Uh, just watching the uh, the video, James Woods posted it. A lot of people are sharing it. It's originally a TikTok video, but it's all over social media, and it's an over-under shot on the top is Biden talking about the whole dictator statement. And then Anthony Blinken on the bottom and his response, you can see his face going, oh, he's just cringing. Oh, yes. I saw. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, I saw it yesterday. Because yeah. Anthony Blinken is the one that has to shake more hands in that equation. And he's just looking at it going, what are you doing? You just you just made my job impossible with China. Nothing's going to get done. Look, I'm no defender of Anthony Blinken, but it's clearly another demonstration as to how incompetent this president is. And that comes, by the way, you can see it on his face. Anthony Blinken doesn't have confidence in his boss. Join the conversation. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Uh, at least 31 Americans were killed were, were by terrorists mm-hmm. in Israel. Mm-hmm. 31 Americans. Why have we forgotten about them? Well, it, it seems like no one ever even thought about them. And, nope, and, no consideration. And, and what, 10 hostages, which means, you know, if they're, whether they're alive or not. But, I mean, brutally massacred yeah. by Hamas. And, yep. and it's like, I understand, I understand the, the uh, you know, the, the, the fact of that more Israelis were killed. It's all bad. Right, right. All of it's all of it's bad across the board. Right, but when something but, like that happens internationally, and there are Americans that are killed, typically it's a much bigger story, and there's much greater outrage. It's notable. Every nation does it. Canada uh, will, uh, you know, if there's if there are Canadians killed in an international uh, situation, they'll do the same thing. But it's as if nobody even recognizes it. Because that when you look at, and reading here, uh, uh, the editors, National Review. Mm. On Tuesday, the White House did the indefensible again. It issued a waiver allowing the Iranian regime to access another $10 billion in funds that had been previously unavailable to it because of United States policy. We reversed it. Yeah. As Iran is financing the killing 
I mean, if it's not enough for some people, because for me, it's enough if, if it was all Israelis, if it was, you know, any ally of the United States. Yeah. that That's enough at that point. But the fact is, Americans were slaughtered too. Yeah. And this administration is funding the terrorists who killed Americans and Israelis. Yeah. It's insane. And there's zero political will to change that situation with no. Iran. None. I mean, it's the, it is one of the most bizarre, it's seriously, it's one of the most bizarre things, the behaviors from a president I've ever seen, ever. As, as the, the war is going on and, and not only did they kill Americans, take Americans hostages, currently have them hostages that's why I do believe that the ten billion dollars, you know, would might be some kind of deal. We're willing to deal and give you the money if you release the hostages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because why else would you do it? It's pure insanity. But then again, here's the thing: there is no critical. You can't look at this administration. You can't look at liberalism today and try to sit there in any way and say. Well, how can they justify it in any way? I mean, how do you connect the dots here? Because you can't connect the dots. It's just insane. You know, I really thought when he made the comment the other day that there was a deal in the works to get the hostages uh, hostages out of Gaza, I really thought that we were pretty close to it. It felt like he was talking out of turn on that, like he often does. I can't go into the details. But when you have a hostage situation, the last thing you want to do is the is rock the boat with any comment. You want to wait until they're safely in American hands before you make any comment. Because the enemy has the upper hand there. And I, I said it on the air. I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that the deal is done and those Americans are coming home, you know, within a 24-hour period. Because he made it sound like it was happening right then, which typically at that level means they may already be on their way back to the States or at least in the hands of friendlies. But I haven't heard anything else on that. Nothing else. That was the same time that the uh, IDF said they were conducting a mission at the hospital in Gaza, but I didn't, I didn't see anything else. And so it makes me wonder, did he talk way out of line? Were we not even close to getting a deal done? Reading here from Philip Klein in National Review, and this goes back to Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson said it's odd that so many commentators are getting so disproportionately emotional about the October 7th massacre in Israel. But what's odd is that somebody who is portraying himself as putting America first 
ignored, completely ignored the American victims of the Hamas attack in his comments. In an interview he did with Candace Owen about her ongoing dispute with Ben Shapiro, Carlson said that while he was horrified by the attacks, he believes commentators have become too emotionally invested in the matter. I feel so sorry for the Israelis who were killed, Carlson said. However, there is an emotional response that is disproportionate, I think, on some part of the commentators. He went on to say, our country is being invaded right now uh, by millions of young men whose identities we don't know, who probably don't like America, who are living here. Over 100,000 Americans a year die in, uh, of fentanyl. I've known a couple. These are real tragedies. I've never seen anything like the emotion from any commentator around these tragedies as I'm watching uh, about a foreign tragedy and I think that's odd. Put aside why many people might have an emotional reaction to the largest single-day massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, to the images of burned bodies, to women's, women being raped, raped, or to infants being taken hostages and beheaded. Forget about why the rise of anti-Semitic, uh, anti-Semitic attacks around the world and with the United States might be rattling people. Let's just look at something through the prism of somebody who believes it's worth getting worked up only about American tragedies rather than a foreign tragedy. Why doesn't Carlson mention the fact that over 30 Americans were killed in the Hamas attacks and nine uh, more are currently being held hostage, including a three-year-old? Why is the reality of an American toddler being held by a terrorist in Gaza somehow unworthy of an emotional response from Carlson? Say what you want about Tucker Carlson, but he's extremely smart. And it's not plausible to believe that he is unaware of the American victims of Hamas, yet he chooses to ignore those facts. I, I, it just, I don't know how you can be so out of touch. You can be concerned about fentanyl and what's going on with Hamas. Both. Yeah, yes, of course. You can be angry about it. And when you just say commentators, what does that mean? Yeah. What commentator? Right. Yeah, get specific. Yeah. What commentator? Right. That's You know, that's almost like some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When well. The, when the media asks a, a question, some believe that you're a criminal, Mr. Trump. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, want, I want to know who are the conservative, the conservative commentators. Yeah that are furious about Israel, but have no problem with fentanyl crossing the border and the border is fine. Right. I don't believe they exist. To me, that's sort of a straw man that Tucker Carlson's bringing up. Exactly. I don't know who that person is on the right who is doing that. Well, because if I ever heard of anyone saying, you know what, I'm okay with the fentanyl thing. I I don't have a problem with it. You have a point. if, 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 If that... Number one, that that would make the news in the way that he's making the news because it would be stupid to say. It would be completely thoughtless and out of touch. But, you know, saying this, well, I don't know why you're upset about this when we got the whole fentanyl thing going on. Yeah, those two situations exist. And there's, again, it's just, it is a straw man. Situation. Yeah, it's a straw man argument. Well, well and, and why would you even pick that? Why would you? I mean, what what is it? You can, in fact, marry those two easy, as we have done. Fentanyl's cr- coming across the border because the border's not secure, and terrorists are coming across the border 
right now. It's part of the the Biden plan put into action, which includes taxpayer money and the lack of will to enforce the embargo on Iran and everything else that's creating every single situation. There isn't just one thing on the table from this president. And how do you not know that? That's about as thoughtless as it gets. And, and again, it's not just the it's not just the attack as we have just brought up. It's this administration, yeah, which is financing mm-hmm. the attacks that is uh, ensuring that funds are available for Hamas through Iran and did it again yesterday. Released another ten billion, yeah, and then come up with the excuse. Well, the money really isn't fungible. I mean, it's a uh, you know we have a a, a, a you know a, a deal and mm-hmm. and uh, they uh, you know they wouldn't uh, the Iran wouldn't help their people anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they do. There's social programs in Iran, and there's a reason there's social programs in Iran because you can't you 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 rule two ways with fear. You've seen the number of executions mm-hmm. with fear and minimal sustenance. Right. And and to not bring the entire thing and make it basically a binary thing that, oh, some commentators aren't angry about fentanyl, but they're angry about the attack of Israelis, right. ignores. It's almost as if you're looking at this in tunnel vision to somehow say, well, it's really not that bad what happened in Israel. Right. And you're forgetting about the Americans that were slaughtered. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know how you could be so out of touch. Neither do I. Let's go to Barbara in Michigan. Barbara, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, thank you. Um, I I am flabbergasted at, uh, I'm going to use the word the media, kind of like the commentators, but um, watching ABC this evening and the amount of times they almost side with terrorism by giving them the brush off and making Israel explain exactly what they're doing and why they're doing. And um, it's almost as if I think the mainstream media or part of the media, something out there, they're not asking the right questions. They're not hounding President um, Biden about why he isn't doing more about the terrorists. They're not hounding the Hamas or even Tlaib Rashid about why what they're doing is not anti-Semitic or why they're not siding with terrorism. And um, that just, it, that, it blows my mind. It boggles me that um, it's being pacified. And yeah. It's like in 1933, it was pacified and, and now here it's 2023 and it's being pacified. How can we let that happen? So I don't, you know, the questions aren't being asked. So um, it's like, you know, to to the point where, you know, Putin invades Ukraine. Everybody goes, you know, puts out the Ukraine flag. Everybody's all for Ukraine because they got invaded. But Hamas totally terrorizes and kidnaps and kills 1,200 people in one day. And nobody, everyone's afraid to be be anti-Hamas because that means they're being anti-Islam or anti-Palestine and it's not. It's anti-terrorism and why that no, line isn't being 
drawn for education. I yep. did, I, I no, did no, you hit it. You hit it. You hit it right there. Yeah, thank they're, you, Barbara. They're trying thank to make you. it a, a, a Palestinian, the innocent Palestinian, which there are probably innocent Palestinians that are caught up in this. Oh, sure. You know, that don't want it. But Hamas controls it. And that's what you're dealing with. Yep. Hamas has controlled it. And that's what you have to deal with. And there's a difference between collateral damage and purposely targeting the massacre of civilians, including Americans, yes. as we must say again and again and again. And Hamas doesn't care anything about the uh, uh, the peace-loving Palestinians. Nothing. No. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. Oh, we've got another uh, poll out there. Yeah. National poll. All right. On, uh, on Nikki Haley, and uh, she leads Biden by 10. All right. And that's, look, the only, the only thing really that you get out of this poll is the fact that independents, yeah. it does indicate that independents yeah. are willing to vote for a Republican, yeah, independents, yeah. and some Democrats, because that kind of a lead that Nikki Haley has in the general, not in the primary, but in the general, it was her and Biden. Right. I believe shows that fact that independents are looking for a reason not to vote Democrat. Right. And maybe some Democrats are looking for a reason not to vote Democrat. Top of the hour news is brought to you by House Products. Visit houseproducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Welcome. It is a Friday show, so sort of cleaning off the desk from everything that we have received. 
Yeah. Uh, stories, whatever. Uh, emails. Got a few emails this week uh, saying you guys haven't uh, talked about the uh, the uh, judge setting the trial for Georgia's voting machines. Right. That shows yeah. that uh, Trump won Georgia. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> when I got that one, I, I chuckled because it's amazing. You know, we, we've talked about how int- how interesting it is that they found out how many people read the headline of a story and actually don't go into the story and read the story. Right. This this lawsuit where the judge sets a trial challenging Georgia's voting machines, which they are, and I think it's a good idea. I, I, I'm for going through constantly. Yep. Uh, we've talked about this before. You and I, if it was up to us, we would want paper ballots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I signed a petition on uh, the, the voting day that just passed. Uh, uh, there was somebody outside with a petition for paper ballots. Um, I don't know. It, it, was, it was in our county. I don't know if there are other. He didn't mention whether or not there are other petitions for other counties, but he was working on behalf of our county trying to get that done. And I signed the petition. But, yeah, uh, yeah. we talked and- about this. And you and I both support auditing. You know, uh, every state should go through it. Yep. And they should review the process and look at any anomalies every single time. Uh, but this is not about 2020. No. This lawsuit, it's not even about 2020. And looking at social media, 95% of the responses seem to have no idea that this had nothing to do with 2020. The yeah. lawsuit was mm. actually filed in 2018. Yeah. About the vulnerability of the computerized uh, you know, the computerized machines in Georgia. And what the judge is saying is, yeah, there are, there's evidence that because it's a non-jury trial, this trial goes forward because we believe that there's evidence out there that these machines are vulnerable. Now being Mm. vulnerable does not mean there is any evidence because there's no evidence that they were hacked or changed in 2020 or 2022. And nobody's in the, courts even trying to make that case they're saying well you know the the possibility that they can be hacked is there and so it's really about whether they should be used in 2024 or not or whether georgia should change the system and again as we have stated um and we've always stated you need irrefutable evidence if you're going to overturn uh an election and the fact that machines can be the whole election system is vulnerable. Right. You know, right. we've talked about that in, in uh, the past. The the Pennsylvania, they caught it in Pennsylvania, but you saw where the Dominion uh, uh, machine was screwing up. Mm-hmm. They caught it. Uh, but the fact is it was vulnerable. That is also different from the allegations coming from the Trump campaign that Dominion paid bribes to the governor and the secretary of state, right, right. those kind of things, right. or that there was an algorithm that would automatically change a Republican vote to a Democrat vote, a specific algorithm that did not exist. They, there was no evidence that they found that. Right. Other computerized vulnerabilities, go at it, look at it. Yep. yep. We, have, we have no problem with it, but... It's amazing how people just want to jump on it. It's like I there was a like a pent up energy. There it is. We found it. It's like, well, you didn't find it. <laughs> no. No, this is about twenty eighteen. Yeah. This was actually started in twenty eighteen, this lawsuit. It had nothing to do with 
with uh, 2020. You can relate to 2020 and say if it's vulnerable, uh, you know, sure. if it's vulnerable, it could affect any election. Right. But this is not a trial to overturn or provide evidence I, I think that that's, 2020 was stolen. In that's Georgia. the most important point is right. that it's it, the tone seemed to be, see, this is going to happen. There's going to be a court. There is a court case now, a court date set. And it seemed to be the understanding of people who were excited about it, that this was based on a filing about the 2020 election. There may be an impact on the 2020 election, but this case is not about overturning the 2020 election in Georgia. Right. Uh, and we don't know what impact. I mean, it, it could say, well, uh, you know, if this happened in 2018 if there were, and it was in place in 2020, uh, then you would have to go back and review again. You would have to do an audit based on uh, whatever uh, issues are found, and, and, and that's fine. But this is not based on the results from 2020 in Georgia. Right. It was a, and, and that's fine. I, we, we are all for it. We are, mm -hmm. we are for And we don't think, uh, especially in blue states, legislatures went far enough uh, to take away executive power from governors to do what governors did uh, in, um, you know, during, uh, during COVID. Right. And a lot of the red states they did. But in the blue states, they did not. And anything that I that I see here from the uh, the analysis would not have had the Supreme Court change anything of how they voted in 2020. Right. So and we'll see where it uh, it will see where it goes. But oh, you and I are for constant auditing of the system. We are for voter I.D. Mm -hmm. uh, we just don't want. We just don't want non-fraudulent elections. We want the perception completely wiped out because the election system is so secure. That's the goal. You may never reach that, but that's the goal. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, um, we've talked about it because we've covered so many elections because we're old. And we've been doing this a long time, um, just in, in going through that. There are anomalies that you and I were having in the um, in the pre-show meeting, I think it was. You know, I brought up the year 2000 and what was going on in Florida, the whole dangling chads thing. That was insane. Well, I saw part of the Bill Maher interview with Ted Cruz. And Bill Maher said... Oh, the Democrats won Florida, and Cruz is like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Yeah, they took four votes, right under the under the law that exists, and that's why they should have never had the stupid Chad thing to begin with. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a horrible way! What a, a ridiculous way of 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 voting. Yeah, uh, but after four recounts, based on the law and people not guessing. Well, we're not sure what this is, so we'll give it to them. Right. Because the law didn't allow that. The law right. was there because it's like, well, if you're not unsure, if you're not sure how they voted, you can't make an assumption. Right. And that was the law. And in the law, the four times there was a recount, Bush won. Bill was like, <laughs> I'm sitting there going, come on, Ted, sit there and go, see, you're you're still, because Cruz brought that up, that, the, you know, in 2000, the left was saying that it was that it was stolen. Mm -hmm. 
And Bill Maher said, well, yeah, but it, because the Democrats won Florida, he goes, there were four recounts that win Florida. So, yeah, it's just, um, it's, it's, it's amazing how it, you know, it just, it continues and continues, but that's why we want it where you, if you did paper ballot and we're not going to go back to paper ballots, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, it's not, in fact, you, and you see absentee now, now Republicans are jumping, you know, for absentee ballots to get the early vote out for Republicans. So that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the perception or the taking the political advantage that every election that you lose is stolen, I think we're going to hear from now on, on both sides. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, but it really doesn't stick with the public because you haven't seen a decrease in voting because of non-confidence in the system. No, that's a great point. We we talk, actually talked about that. We talked about it uh, after 2020. We talked about it, I think, long before that, a number of times. And, you know, if you don't have voter confidence in the system, that's where you're going to see the erosion. If turnout starts to drop, well, that's not the case. Right now, it's not the case. Uh it will be interesting to watch in 24 what kind of turnout there is. I'm curious to see how many Democrats turn out for their party. Your it, 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 because you know you can you can show up and, and not vote for Biden. You can decide to skip that part of the ballot. That's legal to do, and vote for uh, some of the local uh, elections and and then. Uh, the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate seat in your state, if if you wish, and that may be the case. But I wonder how many, how much voter apathy there may be for the Democrats that are turned off by this radical behavior. They do exist. You and I were listening to, we can't play it because of the language, but the actor and comedian uh, Michael Rappaport, if you follow him on social media, uh, in recent months, especially, you've seen how over-the-top outraged he is by what's going on, everything that's going on. And he put out a video that said, look, if it comes down to Biden and Trump, I'm voting Trump. This is a guy who at one time was far left, but he's clearly not well, a radical. Even, even in the... Even in his, because we can't play the audio because there's so much profanity. But right. E- even in his support of Trump over Biden, yeah, he's cursing out they, Trump. He gives him a certain <laughs> nickname. Yes, exactly. It's Go like, find the video for yourself. He's, he's, he's insulting Trump as he's saying he will support him. So, uh, in in a way, and that's uh, we always said that's that really is the great unknown. Mm-hmm. How bad Biden will turn people off. Yeah. Right. And the polls just keep going in the opposite number. And you combine that with the polls showing DeSantis and Trump and Nikki Haley. Now, the third straight poll with Nikki Haley, I think, 9, 10, and 11 points over Biden. It shows that a lot of independents won't vote for DeSantis or Trump, but they will vote for a Republican, which means they are looking for an excuse not to vote Democrat. Right. How do you take advantage of that? You continue to pound the five, six issues, the major issues out there. There are a concern to Americans right now. And the number one 
the number one thing being inflation, which, by the way, relates, as we've talked about, to the cuts that Republicans are saying we have to have. Well, then you better start explaining to the American people that every single day and pounding it, that the spending that the Democrats want to do and have done is what created the inflation, the out-of-control inflation, and that's what they wish to continue to do. Yep. And and that part is not going to go away. I'll tell you right now, I don't expect much outrage. Our audience and, you know, the the true conservatives notwithstanding, there's not going to be much outrage on getting spending in line. Because if you do that, then the follow through is, of course, spending cuts. And we've talked about right now how no one is willing to go that far. I mean, we're seeing it with Matt Gates. We're seeing it, you know, with a handful of Republicans. But it is just a handful, as we've been pointing out now for years, that are truly concerned about it. And that's indicative of what? The rank and file. The voter, yeah. Yep. And so they're not, they're not, it, we've done it before. We've seen it. We've shut down the phone bank uh, during TARP 1. And I don't know, was that the last time? Was there anything, any big outrage to that extent where you saw it? I mean, we saw it, uh, we saw it, look, the Tea Party was, was kind of it was right after that if you think about it, it um well, you because saw we're it. going into 2009 and it was uh you know tax day uh, uh 2009 you know all that was about the same time but i mean the last gasp was the fall of 2015 that was the last gasp then that was yeah okay and 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 yeah. that was that was that was the creation of the swamp right which the swamp originally yeah. isn't it amazing how the definition of the swamp has evolved uh, has evolved right. since since 2015 yeah but populated by different creatures <laughs> yeah but the original the original uh, uh, coin phrase swamp yeah was based on Republicans and really directed at Paul Ryan yeah. for not overturning the deal that Boehner made right. because we wish to cut spending. Right. That was really the last time. And then, as we've stated, by the time you got to spring of 2016, Trump was talking about borrowing trillions of dollars because interest rates were low and only paying, you know, 50 cents on a dollar uh, or even less than that on the federal debt to solve the problem, which, of course, economically speaking, would have been a nightmare and is impossible to do. And then at that point, in my opinion, that's where I saw Republicans really not care about spending as much. Right. There was a little criticism with Trump's first budget mm. when they said we could have cut more, we should have cut more. Well, we need to get this through and we need to establish it. Yeah. And right. you see that all the time. Well, we need we need to establish we need to establish a base here and then fight it later on. And yeah. here we are and we're still trying to establish that base. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 86690 red eye. Brought to you by FPPF. Fuel Power Max. Owner-operators with authority generally have two options when it comes to sourcing freight. Brokers on the spot market or directly from the source, the shipper. As any trucker with relatively recent experience with spot freight knows, the highs of working the load boards can be really high. On the other side of that coin, however... 
When the market flips in favor of shippers, it can be tough to keep your business afloat working with brokers. The smallest carriers with direct customers, however, can hang on through tough times or even prosper as long as demand for their customer's product remains at least somewhat stable. Owner-operators in it for the long haul make direct business with customers a principal goal. Owner-operator business 101 is provided by Overdrive's Partners in Business program. Go to OverdriveOnline.com to the Partners in Business section of the website for more detail on this and many other topics. Brought to you by Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but... Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. We made it to a Friday. I just see that Martha Stewart has canceled Thanksgiving at her house. Yeah. She had planned to do it, but somebody got sick, and she got she's somebody got sick, and so and and also she was sick at kicking, cooking turkeys because she's done fourteen for her show. Oh, so she's canceled it at her house. The headline says she canceled Thanksgiving. Technically, she didn't. She's just going to five other people's houses during the day. Well, okay. Th- no judgment there. Can you imagine? You're cooking and Martha Stewart's coming over. <laughs> Don't answer the door. Don't answer. Do not. It's Martha Stewart. Don't answer the door. I'd have it catered then. From Martha Stewart Catering? Because <laughs> otherwise, you're going to hear about it. There's no way you're not going to hear about it. Then again, what was that? Was it on Conan? She ate Taco Bell. She might bring over Taco Bell. <laughs> Wonder if she'll give a review mm. <laughs> of the food of that she ate along the way. Exactly right. Uh, give a review of everything. Yeah, yeah. No, look. Uh, there's enough pressure. With cooking on Thanksgiving and Christmas, I don't need Martha Stewart eating my food. Now, then again, I'm my own worst critic, so what harm could she do? From the Uniden America Studios. 
And he is Eric Harley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Uh, the Quinnipiac poll that's out. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Let me see. Uh, on Biden, according mm-hmm. to uh, Quinnipiac, voters disapprove of his response to the Hamas attacks and subsequent fallout, 54 to 37. That's about in line of where the uh, where where it is right now with um, the civics polling, which is overall approval rate fifty five thirty six. Right. So, but fifty there is a parallel there. Fifty. Well, it shows that people recognize he's trying to ride that tightrope, and they don't like it. But right. that's fifty four to thirty seven. His economy. 59 to 37. Uh-huh. His foreign policy, 61 to 34. His The border, 65 to 26. And his response to Russia-Ukraine, 49 to 47. That's disapproval. Uh, just reading this here from the Federalist.com, uh, the implications are simple. Voters are confronting a rare moment in U.S. history in which they can actually compare what it's like to live under the leadership or lack thereof of two major presidential candidates. Do they want Bidenomics or the affordable grocery and gas prices of the Trump era? Hmm. Do they want war in the Middle East or Eastern Europe or the South China Sea or peace? Do they want an open border or national security? The Trump-Biden decision is an increasingly easy calculation for voters to make. So Democrats are stuck. By the way, I'll also add in there what makes the difference is Americans now can see that it is the policy of liberalism that has made their life harder. Mm-hmm. Inflation, I, I the, the public, it's not, I've said there's a difference between this election and Jimmy Carter. A lot of people try to compare it to Jimmy Carter. Now, he was viewed as weak in foreign policy, but Jimmy Carter, in my humble opinion, from remembering that time very well, was not viewed as somebody who caused the problems he is somebody who could not solve the problems or didn't have the courage or the wherewithal to solve the problems that were there mm-hmm. because inflation didn't start under Carter. It was there before. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't able to solve those problems. He was very weak on foreign policy. And when the hostages were taken, again, by Iran. Uh, Biden... This And this is the big difference, and that's why it's so hard to make a call on where this election is going to go in 2024. And that's because, really, for the first time in modern politics, and I'll say modern politics is the last, I don't know, 70 years, 80 years? Yeah. Uh, there were people that were viewed as incompetent. You know, you can look at you can look at the Vietnam War and say, okay, uh, there was payback 
for that and the performance of the of the the government when it came to that and the lies of that, which hurt Johnson a lot. Mm-hmm. But when you look across the board at every single major issue, the opposition can make the legit accusation against Biden and the Democrats that not only that they that they cannot solve the problems that we face today because they caused the problems. And that's really unique in politics. It really is. You don't really. And then you can compare to Trump. You can compare to the things that he did. And I think that's the big problem that Biden has. As we have said, you can make that comparison. And you also, for the first time in modern political history, you can look and say liberalism has caused the problem. Mm -hmm. The politicians that support liberalism and the ideas of liberalism, they caused, they created the problems. They made our life harder. How can they possibly solve what they created, that they purposely created? That's one of the things, one of the numerous articles I've been reading lately on the defund the police that they're actually not right. going to solve that problem right. in the big cities, in the Democratic cities. That's not going to happen because the police are – it's viewed as racial, that police are racist. And so we may do some temporary things to stop crime, but that mindset must exist, which is identity politics. It's the same thing. It's just identity politics and using cops as a – the demographic, that all cops are racist. You know, that's the whole systemic racist thing, which is all part of identity politics, too. So they'll never really be able to solve that problem. You and I talked about the population shifts that will be going on over the next couple of, uh, over the next 75 years. And mm-hmm. and yesterday, an article out, you know, who's going to become, what cities are going to become the economic power? They're all in the South. And it's not going to be East Coast, West Coast anymore. It's going to be South. And as they were, uh, the uh, analysis of it was uh, people are responding after, of, of, of people are responding because they recognize that there's a difference in governance in these states. Right. Right. And that is a, that is a huge factor, which means you're causing the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at San Francisco. San Francisco just didn't go to hell uh, you know, it just didn't happen because of poverty. The situation in San Francisco happened because that's what the politicians wanted. Yeah. In right. Portland, right. it's what the politicians wanted. In New York City, it's what the politicians wanted. In Chicago, it's what the politicians wanted. It's what the people wanted. You and I talked about Johnson in Chicago, 28% approval rate. 28%. He'd been in, what, a year? Yeah. And they want him gone. Yet, he's no different. He is no different from what he proposed when he ran last year. Well, it, and yesterday, I think it was, we were talking about it, and I said, I don't know what the liberals in Chicago want from him. Are they saying that he's not getting the liberal agenda done? Look, the big complaints have to be the rise in crime, although it's Chicago. 
they know crime. But also the, the massive migrant crisis they have right now on their streets. And here's the question. How do you appease the left, your rank and file constituent on the left with that whole migrant thing? Sanctuary city policy is in place. That happened by the will of the people. But now you're spending money locally, and this is going on in Chicago, New York, and other blue cities, where they're spending money locally. And what have we seen? You and I have talked about it. What have we seen over and over again, the reaction? Whoa, whoa. Why are you spending money on people who aren't citizens and not spending money on us? I would love to know what the rank-and-file liberal in Chicago, what their biggest concern with their mayor is. Because that's, I mean, that's horrible. And then I've got to read this part of the Federalist article here. This week there have been murmurs of a potential challenger to Biden, just maybe not who you would have expected. Mm -hmm. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was on Capitol Hill hobnobbing with Senator Chuck Schumer on Wednesday and refused to answer reporters' questions about whether he'll run for president. That's this after he divulged last week that the parties did approach him last year. And you can see the twinkle in the Democrats' eyes at the thought of dumping weak old Biden. And I think Johnson did say on, on uh, was it Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon? He did say he would consider running for president at some point. And then they write, here's Schumer flirting with The Rock on X after their meeting, posting cutesy little lyrics from one of the actor's Disney roles. Mm. But while Democrats might view The Rock as an exit strategy, they still have a monumental problem to overcome. And this is something that isn't talked enough because we talk, they talk about, well, it's all Biden's fault. It's not. Voters aren't just fed up with Biden. They're fed up with Democratic policies, both foreign and domestic. There's no denying Democrats have become the party of mass illegal immigration. Mm. Every town now is a border town. And even urbanites are done with the Democratic policies, overrunning their cities with aliens who uh, suck resources dry. Speaking of cities, left-wing police policies, excuse me, have destroyed them. From Portland and Seattle to Washington, D.C., Democrats' soft-on-crime policies have caused violence in these places to skyrocket, with carjackings up more than 100% last year and violent crime up 40% in our nation's capital. In fact, just this week, D.C.'s disaster of a mayor declared a state of emergency because youth violent crime had gotten so bad. Meanwhile, Democrats have also become the party of inflation, war, no limits abortion, transing kids, weaponizing the federal government, terrorist sympathizing, and every other anti-American policy position that you can imagine. And it's true. Yep. That takes a strong leader to overcome. Sure, The Rock does a magnificent job at the role he plays in every movie, but he's not that leader. I don't think, he, well, first of all, I don't think he's going to run. I think he flirts with it when he's got something to promote. And besides, would today's Democratic Party really vote for a candidate who's a Joe Rogan bro and friends with Trump supporters? Mm-hmm. So Democrats are left to lie with Sleepy Joe in the bed they made for themselves. It's hard to feel sorry for them. Yeah. And so the recognition is there. 
I just don't know how it will, how it how will it translate. Yeah, how, how it translates into votes to, to the not. election. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's right. It, we've been wondering this. The people see it. You see it right now in the erosion of his um, approval numbers in civics and everywhere else. And it's it's related to what's going on. But I think also it is related to the axle rods of the world that are saying, look, as a collective, we have been saying the majority of us have been saying, and these are Democrats, a rank and file, we don't want him to run. And now that we see other prominent Democrats, while Axelrod is more of the Obama team, uh, and someone wrote the article on that, the you know there there's a an existing rift. I would argue it's always been there between the Obama team. And and the and the Biden team, I think that's I think that's been there. I think that was there when they were together in the White House. Here's a question. Hmm. If Trump wasn't running. (laughs) You're going to start that. That's the premise. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's well, well, it's a little, you know, that crater. Uh, they're in uh, Buffalo where they're building the stadium. Yes, That's yes, what yes, you just yes, created yes. with that <laughs> premise well, of that if, question. If Trump wasn't running, could Romney beat Biden? <laughs> I, I had to ask the question. Yes. <laughs> I think he could. I think he, with the atmosphere because, right now, yeah, I think he could. And the too, way yes. that he yeah. went even further to the middle, yep. I think he yep. could get independence. I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying I would support that, or Romney being president, but yes, I do believe he could win. I was talking strictly politically, Ex- not your exactly. per, not, not your personal. Feelings yeah, I just want to make Romney. it clear. <laughs> I don't vote for robots. Eight six six ninety red eye. Lines open for your calls. Eight six six ninety red eye on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. What the Republicans in Congress are looking at when it comes to the Department of Justice, this is still, it's, uh, it's, it's not new, but it, it's, there's more of an intensity on it with new stuff uh, coming out. And also that report that came out yesterday, I think the Wall Street Journal, I forgot who else had it, that the report is that uh, the Department of Justice is not going to uh, charge Biden with anything. Now, that could mean a number of things. Yeah, on, because, on the documents case. Uh, on, yeah. on the documents case. Now, they already said they wouldn't charge him because he's president, so they can't indict him. Right. They will put the report. Now, will the report show the seriousness of what he did and suggest that he be indicted after he's out of office? Mm. That I don't know. Right. And that didn't seem... The report didn't seem to have a lot of details right, yeah. on it. Now, right. they did say nobody else would be charged, be, uh, including the president. Right, yeah. But the president wouldn't be charged anyway. Mm. What did they actually find? Mm. But you're going to have those calls to tier system of justice. Yep, no doubt. This is Red Eye Radio.
on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Welcome. We've made it to a Friday. Yeah. I plan on golfing later on. Do you? You know know what really sucks about getting old? What's that? Just the recuperation time. I told you I went golfing two weeks ago tomorrow. Yeah. So it's been 13 days since I golfed. Yeah. And when I went, I tried to hit out of a, oh, this trap I tried to hit out of was just stupid. You know, my one foot was way up, like a foot above the, the back foot. And when I, I hit the ball out, but the way I twisted my body, oh man, it didn't, you know, I had still had 10 holes left and still played all the 10 holes. and was fine. Next day I woke up, everything was so sore. My mm. knee was so sore. Mm. So I've been working out like a fiend. I have to work out just to play golf. Mm-hmm. That's why this whole age thing stinks. I, I'm I, I'm giving up on it. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, well. I don't want to do this age thing anymore. Yeah, good luck. I just want it to stop. Yeah, good luck. Because yesterday I went to the driving range. First time I'd been to the driving range. I hit the ball great. And so when I went to sleep last night, that was the thing. It's like, okay, when I wake up, am I going to be able to walk on it? And mm. I did. Mm-hmm. I woke up, and it was fine. I went, all right. All right. I can golf today. I'll just be limping around the house Saturday and Sunday. All right. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So this – don't like this age thing. And uh, you're going to play a full 18? Full 18 holes, yes. And I'm – I mean, I've been playing – you know, just playing once every two weeks is more than I've been doing. I mean, I took lessons all summer and all spring, so I'm ready, and my game, you know, should be getting really, really good. And for me, really, really good means I can break 80. Okay. All right. You know, which is, mm-hmm. you know, you're in the 70s. and Sure. I can't beat Tiger Woods' kid. Mm. By the way, did you see the headline yesterday? Mm. Tiger Woods did something his father never did. Tiger Woods never won his high school championship. Because he didn't have a high school championship. Every headline was saying that. Tiger Woods kid doing something that Tiger never was able to do. Mm. Like, well, yeah, because it didn't exist for him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but they're trying to, what I love is I'm like, he's got to look at it and just shake his head. The media trying to make up this competition thing. Yeah, you know? I guess it was natural. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's funny. My great nephew, who's... Uh, a sophomore in high school right now mm. and a really good basketball player constantly will ask me, could I beat my dad? Could I beat you at your age or at my age? Could I beat my dad? I'm just like, stop it. <laughs> yeah. You're not competing against us. Right. You know, it doesn't, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. But I mean, you know, and I'm sure, you know, they're competitive. They always want to, you know, look at it that way, but it's like, it's like no, you're supposed to be better. We expect that's, you to be better. Don't that use is it. the design. That's what we right. hope for our kids. That's right. what we want for our kids. Don't use me as a benchmark. Right. You want to be much better than I am. <laughs> you know, uh, Del Curry, you know, and Steph Curry. You want 
Steph to be a, a champion. You want him to be a star. You want him to be a superstar. You want him to hone his skills, right? So, yeah. That's what you want. Just, you know, we talk about it. I was just thinking there was a, somebody did another happiness survey mm. this week. Yeah. There was something else about it. There was another study about happiness. Right. And I think that the dumbest. Oh, no, I know what it was. Uh, okay, that's what it was. Mm. It was the whole thing about that uh, that a pet doesn't really make you happy. Yeah, yeah, that, right. That, yeah. The, the survey yeah, we says, talk, which, yeah, we talked about Which that. was yeah, just yeah. bogus to begin with. Right. And I've. But I always get into this. I, I just love this because they, those studies that always say the socialist countries have the happiest people. Well, define happiness. Right. What does that mean? Does happiness mean instant gratification? Does happiness mean you don't have any responsibility and you believe you're taking more out of the system than you're putting in? Therefore, you're happy because you're getting more? Well, you know, that's it. Uh, is, I, I had a friend who was, uh, he's not longer around, but he um, was European and loved the idea that in uh, because they had a house in France in this tiny little vineyard village and every everything shut down for three hours for lunch. And then they went home at the end of the, everything closes at the end of the day. They don't stay open until even 7 or 8 p.m. And he says, it's just great. You sit there at a little restaurant and nobody moves. You don't go in and eat and 30 and 45 minutes later, somebody else is sitting at that table. And I said, yeah, but you also don't produce anything. <laughs> it's one thing in a, in a village but when you have an entire culture that is going to be less productive than what happens inevitably. Well, those socialist programs are underfunded. And remember what happened. You and I were, uh, were old enough and have been doing this long enough to remember the, uh, the revolt in France. Yeah. The young people. Yeah. Because they wanted to cut benefits. Man, they were setting things on fire. You know, and it's, it's, I don't know, you could probably go to any of these socialist nations and, oh, no, they're much happier. They're much happier. Well, define happiness. Uh, uh, until you're born into it, liberty for them is literally and figuratively a foreign concept. True liberty. True opportunity. Now, it's not that in other parts of the world they don't have opportunity. But, you know, it could be, I mean, look at the um, overwhelming number of uh, European stars that have come here to the U.S. and say, look, uh, I wanted to get my citizenship because I was being taxed to death. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, who was it? Oh, Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic were on uh, from Nirvana were on Conan's podcast. I and, saw that. And <laughs> Novoselic being the libertarian that he is, they were talking about 
money, and I think that it, they brought up the Beatles or something, and and Chris, very in a very serious tone, said, "Well, yeah, that's because the level of taxation, blah yeah. blah blah." And Conan says, "Ah, uh, yeah, we'll get into that later." And it's like, <laughs> I know Conan's not going to address it, and it's like it was so. But it's <laughs> I just had to I, laugh. I saw Chris that. Was, Chris was like right yes. spot on. Of course, we didn't talk about that. that yeah. I, I watched it a couple of weeks or. When it because it came out just a couple of weeks ago, didn't yeah, it? it was just a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, I, I, I watched. It was really interesting because yeah. they were talking about yeah and you know, about it. But but that's uh, been yeah. you know that's been the case, and we've talked about it. And and so look, you can you can have people that have little to nothing or live in a socialist nation and say, nah, everything's fine. I mean, they're okay with I and and you and I talked about it the other day. Uh, on the show, and and I mentioned that you know when my wife and I were first starting out, and and we think back to the simple years, you know those were we loved it, we loved it, we loved it. However, the difference would be that that young couple knew that we were going to require more and more and more, right? That we were both driven to go out and seek more opportunity that we wanted to, you know, do everything we could to provide for our family, but also to create opportunity for our kids. And so it wasn't that we were happy being in that place forever. Uh, We were living below our means, even though our means were very little. And we, you know, we were happy at that time, but in the, but in our mind, we knew what our goals were. We knew what our dream was. We knew what we wanted to ultimately uh, accomplish. And we did that through our real estate investments and, and ultimately our careers. And she just hit a new pinnacle in her career. And it's, you know, those are the things that are that, that spell out the difference. I, you and I both have um, family, a family member. We each have a, a, at least one family member that has worked their life. Uh, they have money in savings, lots of money in savings. Uh, and, know, and regular job. And re- not, reg- regular, regular job that is not, you know, that's and, and they're not big executives or anything like that. Um, and they're very happy uh, with their, with their jobs. And that's not the point. The point is, is that there are great opportunities and, that opportunity can mean, uh, all right, I want to work the job that I want. I don't, you know, I want to be able to leave it at work and come home and enjoy my time at home and live below my means and still be able to save for my retirement effectively or, in the case of my family member, uh, you know, pay their house off uh, by the time they're 60 and do all of these things. And that's the way they live their life but that's the choice they make it's not because the system forces them to do something they have opportunity and they choose at which level they're going to participate and there's the difference this happiness thing yeah i could see people i have a we have a a friend of the family uh who is from germany and she came here and she was here for a while but uh, staying with us for a couple of days before she went back to Germany, and she was dreading going back to Germany. She said, I just don't have the opportunity that you have here. And it was disheartening to, to hear that. 
Well, I, I just always, you know, when the, the happiness surveys that are taken and it's like, oh, see, the the societies that provide everybody and have high taxation uh-huh. have the happiest people. And I yeah. went, define happiness. Right, right. Because I think it, happiness, when you when you go through life, can be a lot of different things. Uh, happiness to me now, as, uh, you know, somebody who is uh, young and <clears throat> past retirement age, Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, what creates happiness to me is completely different than, well, things that create happiness because I enjoy doing it are completely different now. I find most TV boring. I find most movies yeah. boring. Yeah. I find, uh, most watching most sports now boring. Yeah. Uh, as I get older, it's about. Being, it's not even about it's, the happiness isn't even about money or the money that I've banked or put away or the car I drive. It's the fact that uh, I really don't like sitting around. Right. I feel yeah. I feel like and, and I've seen everything, though. I mean, I'm right. right. Every, yeah. Every every movie, every pro, I've seen it all. And maybe that brought me happiness, you know, or contentment in the past. It's like, you know, I'm not saying there weren't good shows, but I've seen it all. Yeah. And anything that was good, I've probably seen 100,000 times. Mm-hmm. And so most things that the TV presents to me, I'm like, I don't want to sit in front of the TV. And I remember when I was a kid and my grandfather, I talked about that earlier this week, when my grandfather retired and we went, wow, well, he's just sitting in his recliner watching TV. I can't wait to retire. Well, that would bore the daylights out of me. And when I was 50, I remember thinking about this time now, thinking, man, I can retire and I can go skiing, play golf every day. Well, your body won't let you do that. Right. So what it ends up being is I want to be productive and I'm finding out that my Uber, I had to pick up my old car today, my 20 and a half year old second vehicle. I right, had to, yeah. I had to get it serviced and I, and I, but I took an Uber there and the gentleman that uh, drove me originally from Puerto Rico has been here now since 1998. And, uh, uh, no, don't ask if he became an American citizen because he was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, and, and, but I just said, you know, you like Texas I go. Yeah. And he says, you know, I, Retired, and I just couldn't do it. I had to do something. And somebody suggested just be an Uber driver. I said, so you're not doing it for the money? He goes, oh, no, the money's okay. And I figured that out, and I, you know, make sure that he does everything right. You know, that that he he does like, you know, truck drivers do, which is actually know what their cost is per mile. Cost per mile, yeah. Right, know what their cost per mile is, and therefore knows what he's making. He said, yeah. So he says, I'm I'm making money, he said. But more importantly, I'm a somebody suggested you're a very people-friendly person do that you need to keep busy and he said he's remaining productive and he gets into great conversations and it was i mean it was a wonderful drive to my to my dealership and so you find out as you go through life things that you think make will make you happy don't make you happy right and you really find out that being a productive member of society i know for me others don't i mean other people yeah i retire i just want a vacation and sit on a beach and that will make me happy I love Jordan Peterson saying so many people say that. And seven months later, they got all these health problems because they're a massive alcoholic. Because mm-hmm. I got nothing to do except sit on the beach and drink. Ron, Ron White talked about that when he quit drinking. He said, you know, we were hanging out with these people and they're ultra rich individuals. And they started drinking very early in the day. And they're all retired. They're not doing anything. And he was about to retire from comedy. Although in Austin, he's been on the stage on a regular basis. Um, But it is that observation of, oh, my gosh, I don't want my life to end up like this. 
you and I have both seen that from afar and seen people who went into the retirement years. They have plenty of money. They have. And so the day often starts, you know, at least by mid-morning, maybe noon, whatever. You know, you start having a maybe a cocktail with lunch and then you get home, you fix another or whatever. And I don't have any interest in, well, in I, that kind of I know a group of people in a different state that, you know, they also are retired at the same time and they all, all right, let's party like 18-year-olds. That mm. lasted about six months and now everybody's yeah. trying to do something else and being productive in some way because you can't do it yeah. when you're in your 60s. You physically can't do it. Well, not and without so, a lot of sleep. <laughs> without a lot of sleep, yeah. And so they, they – but they – they realize that they've been productive their whole lives and they need to they being productive is actually what, what gives them, them a yeah. sense of purpose, yeah. which in essence makes them happy. And my thing is all these surveys are talk basically give you impression that happiness is security. Right. Happiness is everything being had or happiness is security or getting something that you didn't think you were going to get and you got it in the material form or the monetary form. Right. And I you know, and so you think, okay, that's what makes you happy. And it may make your life a little more secure when you get to that point, mm. but you realize it is the 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 trip there. It's the adventure there. It's yeah. doing doing it, it every day. Be, yeah. You know, being productive every day that right. gets you there, and you realize, well, that's what you really enjoyed because you conquered and climbed so many mountains over that period. You realize those are the things, those accomplishments that bring you contentment because you're doing something that's right. productive and helping other people. Yeah. And in business, you help other people all the time. Yep. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. <laughs> we have a another story. You know, when we talk about happiness and things like that, and 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 being productive, uh, there's the headline, and we'll get into the specifics of it following the bottom of the hour. Mm. Generation Z employee is shocked by the depressing nine to five work schedule. Yeah, I saw that. And and she relates to that TikTok video from the woman last week. Remember that was crying and everything else because of her work schedule. Yeah. And we'll get into this. And it's really amazing the difference in the culture that you and I grew up in and probably most people. And she, I'm I'm going to guess that when I read you what she says here, there's probably not going to be a lot of sympathy from our great truck drivers who listen to the show. No, there will not be. <laughs> Working 14 hours a day away from home for days or weeks at a time. I, I just have I have this feeling she's not going to get sympathy from them. No, she do, she needs to do a ride along. Yes, do a ride along. One month, she wouldn't make it.
you're a threat to democracy if you don't download our app, Red Eye Radio. <laughs> and he's Eric Carly, not Gary McNamara. <laughs> we must well throw that accusation out too, right? Yeah. You're a threat to democracy. Ah. You are. You are. Ah. Uh, a Gen Z employee lamented in an essay published in Business Insider. I think we've referenced Business Insider this week more than at any time that we've been doing the show together. I don't know what's going on over there at the Business Insider. There was another story I, I, I uh, read earlier off the air. I said, what's going on? Uh, one story was uh, from uh, a person who came from California to Texas, couldn't stand the high crime there and and the traffic and loves it in Texas. And I thought to myself, are they changing? Did something happen at Business Insider? Apparently didn't move to Dallas or Houston. Did did Murdoch buy them or something? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the Gen C published an essay uh, in Business Insider that her day job at the YMCA while rewarding still is difficult since it takes up too much of her time. Piper Hansen graduated from college in spring of 23, so just this year. And while she has only been working full-time for a few months, she said it is depressing to have the 9 to 5 schedule. Actually, it's 10 to 7 is what it technically is, but she's calling it 9 to 5. How can I make sure I'm eating well and seeing my friends and taking time from my hobby, she said. How am I supposed to fit my whole life into a 9-to-5 work schedule? Hanson explains that she wakes up about 7 a.m. for her 10-to-7 job, but by the time she gets home, she barely has time to walk her dog and make dinner before it gets dark. Well, especially this time of the year. It's dark when you get home. Yeah. Uh, Then I have to make sure the coffee pot is ready for the next morning. What? What? You've got to make sure the coffee pot's ready? How much work is that? They want you... What? They want you to do that kind of labor. We're talking minutes and minutes of labor (laughs) that, that you're not going to even benefit from. They, the, then I have to make sure that the coffee pot is ready for the next morning when she wakes up, and I have something to take for lunch the next day, she wrote. I'm home for just a few hours before I get ready to go to bed by 11 p.m. She mentioned uh, the viral video of another Gen Z, uh, Z employee who posted a tear-filled rant, uh, and we had talked about this uh, a week ago or so, where she complained about the demands of a 40-hour work week. While some viewers were sympathetic to her complaints, others believed uh, her opinions uh, were a larger indication of a weak work ethic and the attitude of a younger American generation. Uh, She said, I want to shower, I want to eat dinner, I want to go to sleep, I don't have time or energy to cook my dinner either. Like, I don't have the energy to work out. Like, that's out the window. Like, I'm so upset. Nothing to do with my job at all. But just like this 9 to 5 schedule in general is crazy. It's crazy having to have a job. As a Gen Z person who is going through the same transition, 
into the workforce as the person in that viral video. I just want to say we know this is how it is, but does it have to be this way? Well, if you like things like eating, you know, shelter. The 23-year-old said it is wild how there's only time to work and go home to rest before work starts again, arguing. (laughs) Uh, That's not how humans are supposed to live. Actually, it's exactly how they're supposed to live. Well, I'm thinking of the... The, the, the Neanderthal man, the caveman, how they had to live. Well, that's that, I was going to say, here's what we'll do. We'll Let's do the basic hunter and gatherer thing, mm-hmm. right? Okay, where you had to, quite often at night, go out and look for your prey. You had to be strong enough or, or cunning enough to bring it down and kill it. Then you had to, of course, field dress it. And then you had to, well, I don't know. I guess you don't have to cook it. You, you can decide to eat it raw if you want. And then you also had to keep yourself sheltered from predators. Now, it's the same basic approach. <laughs> the hunting and gathering is you go to work and... Someone will pay you for being there at the YMCA. She's working at the YMCA? Is that what you said? Yeah. Wow. I used to go to the YMCA voluntarily and have a great time. Well, you can get yourself (laughs) clean. You can have a good meal. You can do whatever you feel. And then... You take that money that that employer gives you in exchange for your time and efforts, and then you put it in your bank account. You could just carry cash. And then you go find a place to live and find some things to eat. You're going to need some clothes to wear. I wish there were more options for schedules that are conducive to actually having a life outside of work. I want to do nothing and get paid for it. I would like to travel, enjoy other things outside of work. I don't want my next 45 years to be the same as these last few months. Last few months. Oh, my God. A few months. Uh, Coming home, eat dinner, rest, and then going back to work. I want to live my life, too. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, she said she doesn't know if a full-time in-person job will be her future. I don't think it will be. Based on her attitude, I don't see her having a consistent full-time job. You know, I'm laughing because she went to college and now she's, I don't know what she does there, but she went to college and and I'm thinking, oh, she must not have worked during college because... Mm -hmm. College itself is a full-time job. And right. I thought to myself that, you know, when I went to, and I talked about it when I went to college, I worked 55 hours a week at the bank and as a club DJ. Uh-huh. And and then when I got out and only had to work one job, it was like, it was like a, one full-time job when I got out of work was like, wow, I'm bored. There's, <laughs> I have too much time in my hands. And then, uh, you know, uh, when I do remember then a few years later when I became a station manager over a radio station, I was station manager. I was over, I was under the owner, but I was 
in charge of everything. And I did two shows. I would be in, I would have to be in at 5.30 in the morning. And I would do a show, a music radio show, Mm -hmm. with a co-host from 5.30 until 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Then I would take, was it 5.30 to 9 or? No, it was uh, 5.30 to 8. And then there'd be a talk show from 8 to 9. And then I did another talk show, 9 to 11. I did two shows. And in that hour, I'd catch a quick breakfast, go and sit in for five minutes with the sales department just to, you know, uh, talk about the stuff. And then do show prep for the talk show. And then by the time I got off at 11 o'clock, I still had all my other stuff to do. I normally would get out at 5 or 5.30 or 6.00. And repeat it again. And then I was club DJing on Friday and Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget my mom asking me. Because I wasn't, it was a small market radio station, so I wasn't making a lot of money. And she said, why are you doing this to yourself? And I said, because someday all I'll have to do is one show. And it'll feel like a part-time job. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I work overnights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do a five-hour radio show, mm-hmm. which is extremely long, especially overnight. Yeah, to be doing it to be doing a show, mm-hmm. uh, and it does seem like a time. I mean, because you you've done it so long and prepared so long, and the show prep is part of my normal life mm-hmm. that the job at times feels like it's a part time job, and it's a huge long well, shift because people say, "Well, you only work five hours." Yeah. Well, no, you don't. You're working twenty four seven. But it's become the the David Lee Roth. 30,000 hours. Analysis. Once you've done something 30,000 hours, it just becomes a part of who you are. But my goal always in work was not to work to vacation. My goal was always to get, and I've, when I've mentored younger people and, and a couple of them quite successfully, because I said, where does this, where does this go? And I said, where it goes, where you'll start really enjoying or appreciating work now is when you get power and control. I don't mean that in a negative way, but when you find out that the decisions that you make can make somebody go, oh, wow, all You're, right, you keep you keep doing it. You get power and control. The How you analyze your job and the things that you have to do make that company a success, and they come to you, and they want you, and then you have people working under you, and you motivate other people, mm-hmm. and it's just – and one of my friends, and you know the person I'm talking about – She's done it successfully, and I think she's 36, 37 years old, and it's been really intense for her, and at times it gets overwhelming, but she knows that's her goal, that that's the goal she wants, and that's what she wants, but there's a lot of suffering and long hours to get there, but that's the goal, and then when you become, when it becomes second nature to you, it's not the same kind of work that it initially is, but I can't imagine working a job, and I don't know if she's got a lot of time. You know, the whole quiet quitting thing, I could never quiet quit because if I'm sitting around trying not to do work and I got to be at the office, time goes too slow. Mm-hmm. I don't want time going slow. But I just, I've, I find it interesting that, you know, this is nothing that she's working right now. She must have gone to college and not worked because that would have been much more than the full-time job. And she didn't work in she's high school. Now. I mean, it, it sounds yeah. like, it, and it's, you can't work, you're not going to work a nine to five job in high school. Um, also, but, she, she's got a time management problem. She doesn't know how to accomplish things quickly. Well, and those are things that you have to learn if you want the other things. Unless you're okay with being broke all the time. And 
the greatest options that any person has are the options that you put on the table yourself through your efforts, not the options that are handed to you. We talked earlier about people who say they're happy or these uh, surveys that claim people in socialist nations are happy. I would say that if that's if they're saying they're happy, if that is truly the case, it's likely because their options are limited and it's not it's based on the sim, the, the the system it's not based on something you create when you go out and you create more options for yourself through your efforts over the years that's where that true freedom and satisfaction also comes in that's the satisfaction of accomplishment you put in the 30,000 hours i saw wolf van halen the other day he called it the 10,000 hour thing um, oh, did he really? Yeah, and for him, at his age, it might be 10,000 hours, but it's about playing in, you know, he was talking about playing in front of people and, you know, and doing the whole thing. And, and um, but it is, it is that 30,000 hour thing where you've done it to where, all right, it's not second nature in the way that, okay, you're just going through the, well, it shouldn't be second nature in the way that you're going just going through the motions it is that the experience helps you to carry uh, a, a bunch of that effort each day so that then your passion and creativity carries it to the next level and those are the things that uh, that few young people can see um one of my granddaughters she's 17 and just got a job now it's part-time she's still in high school and she just got a job working at a massive, massive brand. It's a huge store, and it's a massive brand. And she's through the roof elated. She's going to work 15 to 20 hours a week, maybe some more during the holiday breaks. And she could not be happier. She's starting out at thirteen fifty an hour. Can you imagine if you and I, at our age, at her age back then, at when we were 17, and they said you'll start at thirteen fifty an hour. Oh my gosh! Now I know with inflation, it's not a lot, but she's elated because her mother, my daughter, has instilled into her that work ethic, and she shows her what what is required every single day in order to succeed. I got my toilet cleaning job for a dollar sixty five an hour and mm-hmm. was elated. Right. Eight six six ninety red eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley. I'm Gary McNamara. More on the nine to five. <laughs> A nine to five woman complaining, yeah, or a young woman, twenty three years old, complaining that nine to five is just too much. <laughs> oh well, gosh, you know, just... there, no one has a greater work ethic in show business than Dolly Parton, and she complained about it in a song. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I won't blame her though. She didn't start this whole quiet quitting thing. She didn't start the fire. No, she didn't start the fire. Billy Joel did. No, he claims he didn't.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Why does this show have to be so long? I mean, it's cutting into, I can't see my friends, Eric. I, I can't see my friends. When is recess? I would answer that question, but I'm quiet quitting. <laughs> We're talking about the article, well, actually the op-ed piece in Business Insider from another uh, Gen Z young woman, because this is the second in a couple of weeks, uh, who uh, put together an essay in Business Insider saying she graduated in spring of 2023, so like May, right, right from college. Mm-hmm. She's had a job for a few months, and nine to five is too tough. She just doesn't have time for anything and asks, can't it be another, can't it be another way? <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry, but uh, she really is a child. I want to have fun with my friends. I mean, that's still the child mentality. I want to have child, fun with my friends. I want to travel. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. You haven't even worked to earn anything, and you're, you know, it's basically I want to do these things, and you haven't earned it yet. Yeah, because anything you do in life, vacations you earn. They just don't appear. Well. You, you, I, I suspect it's also why some <laughs> some retired people do a lot of drinking. And they say to themselves, well, look, I've earned it. I worked all these years. Now I'm not working, and this is going to be my life. Um, and, and I've always advised young people uh, that I know that, look, there is a time for celebration. But that comes after the work. Don't celebrate something you haven't accomplished yet. If you're celebrating a birthday, that's, you know, that's one thing. But in terms of wanting more downtime, wanting, uh, you know, more time to go have fun, that has to be earned with few exceptions. (laughs) Uh, Winning the lottery, which isn't going to (laughs) happen. Inheriting wealth which apparently didn't happen for her, not as of yet. Um, it's always about going out, accomplishing something, and then this is what you'll notice. You think you're having fun now, but the enjoyment you get from celebrating an accomplishment is something that can't be beaten. That's, some, that's a feeling that she is yet to encounter an experience. Well, a couple of points. First, when I read here the headline from Business Insider, social media users rallying against nine-to-five jobs. Now, they don't mean working during the day. They mean just working... Any full-time a, job. Any any full-time mm-hmm. job. And, you know, you had mentioned a little bit about, you know, because we had mentioned 
you know, uh, <laughs> cavemen and cave women, how hard they had to work. And but you think about it. I've always uh, the one thing when I watch that History Channel series, remember, uh, what is it? The, the men who built America. Mm-hmm. I realize and, you know, talking about Carnegie and Rockefeller and all that. But I realize that because of technology. The vast majority of people live like billionaires did 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Our quality of life, except for the size of our homes and the real estate that we may own, we live the lives of billionaires from 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, medical care, the food we eat, everything is just is so much better. The technology that we have, the vehicles that we have. That the average person, until in Biden and inflation, and let me say it slower, until Biden and inflation, <laughs> um, mm. m- most most of us could enjoy. But no, I mean, when you see the changes in technology, but the fact is, you know, I've had people come up to me, and and you've, I'm sure you had it too. You guys, man, it must be great. Your your job is so much fun and everything, and it's fun without question. It is it is great. It is it is so much fun, but it's less work in my mind now because I've done it for the in the business for forty one years and talk radio for thirty four. Mm-hmm. So you're still doing you're still doing the work every day in order to present a show because you have to. Yeah, you have no right, choice. Right. You have to do it because if you don't do it, it's easily recognized. All right, you can't come in. One day, <laughs> even though I've done it kidding around, Gary, what's going on? I don't know. I don't feel like working. <laughs> Let's Can we mm. skip this next hour? Mm-hmm. I've said that, but I really don't mean it because you couldn't get away with doing it. Yeah. And and so you uh, I, I think about that people will look and say your job is fun. They don't see the work that you have to do behind it. But any of us, once we've done something long enough, it's not that we're it's not as you said. It's not that we're just slugging along. It's the fact that you become so proficient at what you do that you're almost doing it on automatic pilot. So it doesn't seem like you're doing the same work, but you really are. You have to in order to uh, survive. And I think that's true for probably most people in business. I was thinking because, uh, uh, was it two nights ago, Trans-Siberian Orchestra started out their tour. And you and I follow some of the members of it. Uh, Chris Caffrey, for example, on the East Tour, the uh, the uh, the uh, the musical director, the lead guitarist, mm-hmm. the guy with the long blonde hair, if you watch it on that side, uh, uh, Joel Holkstra. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he on it? Is he doing it this year? Yeah. Okay, Joel's, Joel's back yeah. on it. Uh, Angus Clark, who's on the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chloe Laurie, who I follow, who's also on the West. And I was thinking, because I've seen, you know, Caffrey talking about getting ready to go on tour and there's nine buses and everything else, you know, nine buses that they stay in and then all the tractor trailers and all the work. And you see them when you go, when you go see them, you sit there and go, man, it must be great to do that. And then last night when I'm sitting around the air, during a break and just looking at uh, Facebook and it was Chloe Laurie and it's like two in the morning. And you could tell she's in her basically probably the sleeping bunk in the bus after they did their first show, going to wherever they're going for the second show last night. Yeah. And it's, you know, two in the morning and she's still awake 
and she's just showing. You can see the dark, and you can just see, you know, on the bus, and you can see, you know, all the trees and everything, the road on the outside that she just filmed for about 30 seconds. And I went, how do they do that? How do they sleep? How do they go from their regular schedule that they do? And then all of them are hustling during the year for every type of gig that they can get. And yeah, you, and you realize sure. it's like, okay, you look at it and you go, you go see Trans-Siberian and you say, man, what an incredible fun job it has to be. That's a ton of work and discipline like you can't believe. And, you know, uh, they are outstanding musicians. They're not the types of rock stars, though, that are getting, you know, they don't make Rolling Stones money. No, they don't. They don't make Van Halen money. No, they don't. Uh, Joel, as you mentioned, I mean, he's he works uh, with Cher if she's working. He's worked with Whitesnake, uh, although they're done touring. Um, you know, they it, it it's you find these, and the thing is, is that he's one of these very proficient musicians, and he is fluid. He can he can you know he. He's he's a rock guitarist, but I mean he can play just about anything, and mm-hmm. it requires that level requires a lot of work. This is why you and I are fascinated by the documentary Hired Hands. Oh yeah, it's what a great uh, documentary. You know Kenny Aronoff, and now Kenny Aronoff, by the way, has the of drummer, his, drummer yeah. from uh, John Mellencamp for yep. the longest time. Um, if you the Jack and Diane fill that he does which some people call drum solo, but he was, he was in his mind kind of had that um, in the air tonight kind of Phil Collins kind of right. Phil, and he did it, and he said, I'm just going to go for it. This is going to make me or break me. And, of course, he was with John Mellencamp for years. But those types of musicians that have to be good every time. Well, did you see, then you've seen his podcast then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, watch I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've just I've just started yeah. watching the podcast yeah. in the last couple of weeks, yeah. Yeah. and the intensity, and you realize, you know, he's he's talking about the fact. He goes, he goes one thing about Mellencamp that he liked was he goes, it wasn't drinking and drugs at all. Right. None of that. Right. It right. was business. Right. It was about you know it was about getting the hit, and he talks about the drum slow, solo on on Jack and Diane, mm-hmm. which really brought to life, and and you can tell that he embraces it now. But he talks about remember walking to the guitar set. Mm-hmm. Mellencamp's like, you got to fill this in. You got to come up with something. Right. He goes, I'm 15 seconds from my drum set. I got to come up with something. I'm 10 seconds. I'm mm-hmm. five seconds. I'm there, and I still have nothing. And all of a sudden, boom! It hit, and that made his career. Yeah, I mean that moment where he had that fill in Jack and Diane, just yeah. blew everybody away. Right. And then he was part of the Mellencamp band, and now he's played with everyone. But Hired Gun is a great documentary because it shows the work that they actually do where we view it as, you know, as kids and everything. I don't think as adults you understand the work that they put in, you know, but you view it as, oh, wow, the glory, the rock stardom, the, the, you know, the women, the money and everything else. And what you forget about is the work and you forget about those people, too, that they're not. I mean, he's doing well now. But yeah, they right. they don't make the kind of money that the they rock don't. stars do. But and but they have to be absolutely incredibly proficient. And what's the dude that played with uh, the guy that uh, Five Finger Death Punch? And he was with uh, oh Mandy something or other. The 
guitarist? The guitarist. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't his think name, of his name because yeah. he because that's where Alice Cooper saw him. Right. Yeah. And he's sitting there playing with uh, I don't even know what it is one of the pop one of the Disney pop stars, mm-hmm. and he's playing, and Alice Cooper's at the show at that show, and sees him and goes, "I got to write that guy's name down." And well, when he needed a guitarist, he called him and he gave the guy the job. But they talk about the effort that they have to put in to finally, and he finally got you know to a very successful band where he's probably making some cash now, but it took years to do that. Well, Nuno Betancourt of the band Extreme, and he's a, a phenomenal guitarist, and he's playing with Rihanna. I mean, he's still yeah. with Extreme. Extreme is still together. And he plays with Rihanna because he's, again, incre- incredibly versatile. And ex- the band Extreme didn't have, the again, the Van Halen success, even though... Gary Sharon, actually their lead singer, was with Van Halen for one album, <laughs> Van Halen 3, and uh, after Sammy Hagar. And that was, but they're a great band. Every player in that band is great. And he, Nuno Betancourt, is incredible. I mean, he's just, he can play anything. Phil X, the guy that joined, oh. the guitarist that joined Bon Jovi uh, after Richie Sambora left. And another one. And it requires that kind of, of work ethic. Then, then you think about stand-up comedians. Uh, if, you, if you're not putting in the work, and this goes for, for anything, if you're not putting in the work, you're not going to see that success. And when you're putting in the work, it's still going to take years for uh, to to see that fruit you're it's just not going to happen overnight jason hook yeah okay and and now he's no longer with them he left in 2020 mm-hmm. and he just said i've been in bands my whole life because mm-hmm. there wasn't really a reason except done that for what 11 12 years he, and he yeah, said i played yeah. with so many bands but yeah yeah, yeah. but uh mandy moore's so he played with mm-hmm. hillary duff and mandy moore yeah <laughs> you know i had a friend who uh was playing with a, a late version of Blackfoot, uh, Ricky Medlock's version, um, and he was playing bass guitar for uh, several years. And his sister and I talked about how he made no money. I mean, he got paid per gig, and he made no money. Now, they didn't have much success. They were still playing in clubs. They put out, I think, one album during that time. Uh, but you don't. You know, you're not going to, and he's not no longer doing that for a living. These are very talented people, you know, and they're not getting rich. But you, what you have to find is what your passion is. And it may not be related to your job. No. But you also have to find a way to bring that passion to your job. And there's the difference. In, in being creative and being uh, passionate about something, if you find out in life what you're passionate about, you can often bring that to whatever you're doing for a living, and that's going to help you excel every single time. Well, it's you know it doesn't doesn't matter what you're doing as your hobby or what your passion is. If it doesn't relate to your job, you'll find that actually the qualities that 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 bring that passion will, if you bring that to your job will change that, and you'll have a different mindset. 
you can only see that with experience. And that experience is only going to happen with time. You and I always was said, well, when that slogan started about 15, 20 years ago, remember, don't work hard, work smart. Sorry, yeah. you got to do both. You have to do both. If you truly want to have success, you've got to do both. Because you, you learn that if you're working smart and working hard, and that's, that's where that compounding and, effect happens. And working hard means working long at it. Oh, yeah. No, it has and, to be. It only comes with time. And so you wonder, you know, what, you know, when we talk about the woman, the young woman in Business Insider, nine to five is too hard. I want to travel. I want to be with my friends. Seriously, at 23 years old, that's the mindset of a child. Yeah. I want to have fun. Well, it's, it's the old, you know, uh, 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 tale, uh, folklore, you know, of climbing to the top of the mountain and asking the old man on the top of the mountain, what's the secret to life? And he'll probably tell you not, not climbing to the top of a mountain. You want to stay at, you know, sea level because up here it's really hard. But when that experience pays off ultimately and you see it, you start seeing that return on it. It's pretty satisfying, but it it can only happen with time. And you have to change your mentality, this attitude of I shouldn't have to do this. Everybody's had to do it. Anyone with, with a success story has had to do it. 86690 Red Eye. Brought to you by Hotshot Secret. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at JJ Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on roadside inspections. Once a roadside inspection is completed, the officer will close it out, which involves the officer writing or typing up the report. The more the officer found during the inspection, the longer this will take. If violations were discovered, most officers, as a courtesy, will explain the violations to the driver. If there were any out-of-service violations, the officer will normally explain what must be done to get the out-of-service order lifted. Drivers need to be very attentive during this part of the inspection. The driver also needs to read and understand the complete inspection report. After receiving the inspection report, the driver has 24 hours to get the roadside inspection report to the motor carrier. If the driver will not be returning to a company facility within the next 24 hours, the driver needs to know to get it on the way to you via email, mail, or fax within 24 hours. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. What I found fascinating is a lack of perspective from that young 23-year-old woman who said, you know, 9 to 5 is just too hard, and and uh, humans, you know, it wasn't. it's not supposed to be this way for human mm-hmm. beings. You're right, it's not, because for the vast majority, for 99.9999% of human existence, it's been pure hell to live uh, on the planet Earth for most human beings. I think about my grandparents. My grandparents, remember, they just got running water. Mm-hmm. When they when they got to there were no washing machines, mm-hmm. there were no dryers, there were no dishwashers. Uh, my grandfather worked a job and then had a machine shop in his backyard. And, and they if you ne- got a cut or an injury, right? But it, it it was very serious. They never took vacations. They worked and slept.
You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Yeah, so just one uh, more point and then uh, maybe two more points. And then uh, uh, to a couple of your calls and, and comments on it, talking about the 23-year-old uh, woman who wrote the essay in Business Insider about nine to, working 9 to 5 is just too hard. And uh, it shouldn't be that way, that human beings uh, weren't meant uh, to work 9 to 5. And that, to me, is what showed the complete lack of perspective and the complete ignorance of history. And, and that's why I bring up my grandparents, because it's not, it's not that far away when people really had nothing and life was really, really hard. Think about it. My, my, uh, my, my grandfather, McNamara, on, on that side, uh, 10 kids. They had 10 kids. Mm-hmm. He worked one job, had a machine shop in his backyard. Never stopped working. Maybe when they got close, I think my when my grandfather got past retirement age, I think uh, one of my uncles took him on a trip down to see the Indy 500. Mm. I don't remember. They didn't take vacations. People didn't take vacations. They worked all the time before. Think about this with, you know, the, the food that we have today and how easy it's to process with microwaves and everything else. Just preparing food was a full-time job. Food and laundry. And that's why it's talked about many times that what really freed women to the workforce was technology. Yeah. Just because the work you had to do, you think about it. There were, you know, 12 12 people in my grandfather's family. 12. Mm -hmm. How long does it take to do laundry by hand? Mm Mm-hmm. And drying by hand, that's a full-time job in itself, mm-hmm. plus cooking and what it took to do that. You're doing it all day. It's, and that's the thing that really gets no perspective. If you put perspective on how your life is, you're a hell of a lot more grateful. And this is one of the things, I think it was Jordan Peterson who talked about the fact that people aren't grateful today. They don't realize what they have. And if you're grateful, you look at life in a completely different way. You can be grateful for all the things that you have and grateful for the freedom and grateful for the opportunity, but we've gone from grateful to enabled. Yeah. That there's an expectation that your life should be a certain way just because you think it should be a certain way and you're completely and totally ignorant what the trials and tribulations of human beings that came before you, what they actually went through. We're not utilizing everything that we have. As a society, we are often drawn to the most convenient because we want the immediate gratification. We want the most convenient. And then someone will inevitably try and fold that into the work smarter, not harder thing. But that's not working smarter if you're doing what's convenient. Being more efficient in the process means you're being more productive, that is working smarter, but it's also working harder. And these are the things that you can't, and and you look around as a society, and we've kind of set things aside several years ago, and they said, we've I've discovered that bringing food from home, I can actually eat lunch at work in the break room. <laughs> it's healthier and cheaper 
You mean a sack lunch? We've been doing it forever. You know, I'm learning to make bread like they've just discovered it. Look what I've done. It's been done for generations. I mean, that's the whole thing is that we don't, we don't understand what it took to get here. No. Instead, you have generations now that are born into the technology, born into the convenience and and born in also to the pop culture effect. The pop culture effect is important because, man, I got to know what people think of me. These are people that were born into the social media age. That's a great point, yeah. And they have how many people they believe. They have how many, first of all, they have how many websites dedicated to themselves. And I'll never forget, I went to my niece's graduation two years back and walking out. The valedictorian was very he was a, he was a great kid, and he talked about he's going to run for president in twenty thirty two, and and the whole thing and and so this goes back several years. But he talked about basically himself. He wasn't talking about you know the, their generation, his graduating class, and the whole thing. And on the way to the car, my eldest daughter said, "You know, the guy just talked about himself." I said, "Yeah, he did." I said, "But he was born into an age where you you basically." If you think about the social skills of adolescence, especially, that's that's where you're, you know, working on those social skills at a very awkward age. But now they start that with several websites dedicated to themselves, their Facebook page, you know, their Snapchat, their Twitter, if they're on Twitter. Uh, a lot of young people aren't on Twitter. They're not on Facebook anymore either. But wherever they are on social media. It's dedicated to them, and they were born into that. So there's a lot of attention on me. But then beyond that, the technology and the conveniences that are provided. And 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 what we have been able to do, which, by the way, is great in a society where we have these conveniences. Think about this. We talked earlier about, you know, I mentioned if you were to get cut back when our grandparents were around, if they were working, if you got cut, it was a big deal. Because if there was an infection, it could kill you. Yeah. There are no antibiotics. And you look at that, and it is, you know, still very dangerous, but we can fight it with the technology. In fact, one of my daughters fought a, 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 a very serious bacterial infection here recently. It was in the hospital for a few days. and But it was the, that technology, the fact that she could go to the hospital, then they could keep her there, and they could use that technology and everything in order to uh, get her well, and she's doing great now. And, and you look at that, and... We, you know, and I look at my, my pharmacy is less than a half mile from my house and I can drive through, by the way, I don't even have to get out of the motor carriage (laughs) that, that takes me there. I can drive through and pick it up and have my, you know, my medications that I need. You think about all these things. Now you can get stuff delivered to your door. You know, I made the joke years ago. You know, it's it's not enough to take it to my door. I want the pizza guy to bring it to my couch. That's where I am. I don't want to have to walk to my door. But this is exactly the mindset I was joking about when I made that joke. You know, that uh, two of my uncles had polio. 
Yeah. Uh, smallpox yeah. uh, wasn't eradicated yeah. until right. 1980. Right. My father remembers, yeah. you know, people's whole homes being quarantined. They couldn't leave. Spanish flu. Because, because, of, uh, because of smallpox mm-hmm. uh, back in the, uh, the, the, the 30s. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and even though the vaccine had been around, mm-hmm. the, you know, the primitive vaccine seen since, what, 17-something. But, I mean, that's another thing, the history books. I've talked about history books that I've read that talk about the one thing that has not been passed down to modern society is the fear that everybody had before modern medicine. Mm-hmm. Everybody feared death. Yeah. It was a constant thing on your mind where most people, you know, you you know, until you get until you get sick, you get a fatal disease, you're not thinking about it. But back then, everything was labor intensive. If you oh, cut yeah. yourself, people as you said cut themselves, they died. Right. Yep. You know, if you broke a leg, you could die. Mm-hmm. Things that didn't ha- and so there was this fear and paranoia at the same time as this uh in incredible need uh, and i don't mean need mentally but need physically yeah to work all day in order to have enough food to put on the table human life for 99.9999% of the existence of human beings has been horribly hard it's only really in the last 100 years where really the human society can take a little breather and go, how do I have fun time? Right. And so if she asked the question, oh, were human beings really meant uh, to work nine to five? No. For the majority of society or for, for human existence, they had to work all the time until they went to sleep for a couple hours and get back up and work again. Yeah. They never stopped. They didn't take vacations. They and didn't sit there. They didn't worry about taking fun because, you know, where am I going to have fun next? Because they were trying to survive. Yeah, right. And now we have all these conveniences, and instead of being grateful for them, or, or, or technology and conveniences, but instead of being grateful for them and utilizing them in a way that makes us more productive and more appreciative, You know, you can decide how hard you want to work. You can decide what lifestyle you want to have. Um, You know, if you're living within your means and and you're working a nine to five job, I consider that a success story. That's that's a great success story. And if you choose to do that, that's great. If you want it uh, simple, that's great. You create those options for yourself and a free society creates that for you as well. Liberty creates that for you as well. The uh, the the what capitalism is and and when it's done right and the government is out of the way what it does for people and the the types of freedoms and choices it gives you and options it gives you in life and if you can't see that if you can't see that opportunity then it i don't know what i i don't know how to change that mindset other than time and i'm not sure that time can change that because it doesn't always change that there are people that grow old with this this kind of mindset i don't have nothing nothing was ever handed to me i don't need you got to go out and get it um jonathan winters if my ship doesn't sail in i'll swim out to meet it the greatest quotes of all time you take charge you do something about it and if you don't then you're going to be where you are all your life. Yeah, the, 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 the problem is 
when you think about it. The problem is, here's a 23-year-old that's been in the workforce the next couple of months and puts an essay in a national publication talking about how hard life is. Yeah. My God, that, yeah. there's a problem. Because you and I would never have ever thought of that, and most people listening right now would have never even thought of anything like that. They would have they would have sat there and, and said, okay, I'm not happy in my situation. How do I change it? What do I need exactly. to do to get me where I wish to get? Last thing you do is write an essay whining and complaining that society, that somehow you're a victim Think about this, because that's what she's saying. I'm a victim of working nine to five. Right. Well, my dad was 18. He was he knew he was he was going into the Navy. He hitchhiked nearly 60 miles to get to the Fort Worth Naval Air Station. Who would even think about doing that now? That wasn't in where, where their car didn't break down. It's crazy. I mean, you just. We've got it really great. You just have to open your eyes to see it. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. I had to work all week. I didn't get any time off. I didn't get to meet my friends. You don't have any. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It's <laughs> all there is. This is all there is. <laughs> is this all there is, Eric? It's all there is. It's all there is is this? And then you die. That's <laughs> deal with it wow so uh that's looking pretty good now <laughs> well, i told you do i want death or do i want to be working nine to five if they come up with that technology overnight we have extended life expect expectancy oh, to my. over 200 years no thanks <laughs> no <laughs> no <laughs> no no, that's a question you need to ask the these Gen Zers. And not all Gen Zers are like this, but that's the question to ask. Would you rather work nine to five or death? Well, you know, here's the thing. <laughs> See what they do. If they come up with that technology, then I'm going to start hearing stupid things like 90 is the new 12. No, it's not. No. And 60 is not the new 40, at least knee-wise, ankle-wise, and elbow-wise. Well, the other day, stabbed my toe. I was like, oh, man, that hurt. My wife says, well, sit down and take a look at it. And I said, eh, I've had a good life. <laughs> I give up easily. It's like, you know, I'm good. Oh, my. I'll just limp, whatever. Oh. I'm going to see my doctor on Monday. Mm -hmm. And when I go in, she's like, well, any updates? Uh, on what? <laughs> Your health? I don't know. I like it's, none when they ask, it's none of my business. When they ask a question once a year, so any suicidal thoughts? Yeah. No. I'm in here to see if I'm healthy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at the doctor. Heard you on the radio the other night. You sounded like you had a lot of give up in you. I, <laughs> no. It's just 
I've had... Uh, Never mind. Never mind. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, "What is it real? (laughs) (laughs) In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen.